0: Hey there, welcome to the show. Uh, Can you believe it? Another week's gone by and there's so much to talk about. You know, it's one of those weeks where I just, you know, I'm feeling like I've got a rant. That's right. This is the world of real estate and the things that are going on in the world of real estate are getting a little bit crazy. And so, definitely, I, uh, you know, I'm gonna let loose in a couple minutes. So don't don't worry. I'm gonna I'm gonna definitely fill you in on my opinion on what's going on in the world of real estate. But before I do that, I want to tell you who my guests are uh, this week. Uh, I'm really fortunate to have Craig Proctor join me again. Um, Craig was basically one of the biggest names in the real estate world for many many years. He's out of Newmarket. Um, he is also a real estate trainer. So for all of you realtors, if you're looking for an incredible trainer to show you how it's actually done, cause he did, he paved the way for so many successful real estate agents throughout North America. Uh, so Craig's going to be joining me shortly. And then on top of that, you know, one of the things that we have to be concerned about is, are we doing things correctly with our APSs? are we working with the right clauses? I've got jazz deep Dylan. He is the in-house counsel here for the Simple Company, but Jazz is going to uh, join me. We're going to talk about some of the APSs, some of the things you should be aware of. Also talking to you about things such as title insurance. What's the point of it? So fortunately, he's going to be in studio with me here. It's easy. It's an easy walk for him to come upstairs and hop in the studio. So uh, one of those uh, things that we can benefit from. And uh, other than that, you know, real estate market, there's all sorts of things that are going on. And so I got to tell you, I got to get a few things off my chest this week because You know, the week before, of course, Bank of Canada just decided to like, just really give it to Canadians just one more time. You know what? Why not kick you while you're down? Because that's what they can do. And a quarter point increase in the interest rates. And everybody said, okay, so where are we going to go? You know, they're desperately trying to control the real estate market as they always do. And, you know, have you ever looked at a pendulum before? Because the way the government does things, it's like a pendulum. They go so far one way, and then they go so far the other way, right? And so, you know, what did they do during COVID? Well, hey, let's let's just drop our pants. Let's make all money free, basically, because that's what they did. And was it that necessary? I mean, heck, you, you get CERB, you get free money. Hey, and you get a card, you get a card. You know, it's amazing. It's, it seemed like it's almost like a game show. I almost want to call it the Gong Show. And for those of you that remember that show, it's like, it, it's just, it's cra- craziness. So they turn around and they and then, of course, throwing out the idea that, hey, listen, we're going to keep free money going. And by the way, when we when we don't want it to be free anymore, we're going to do it gradually. And of course, we all know the history of it. You know, 10 increases in the shortest time that we've ever seen, you know, with the Bank of Canada. And, uh, you know, it's kind of funny because all these Internet trolls, when I mention this stuff, get all upset about saying you don't know anything about the economy. Sure, I do. You know what? I've been on the planet for a long time and been dealing with real estate. One of the most important things we all have to understand is the importance of real estate. So what does the Bank of Canada say? They say, well, listen, we're trying, we're we're doing this for your benefit. Okay, great. Our benefit. Yes, we're going to control inflation. And if y'all remember when they started cranking the rates out, they said, you know, by the end of 2023, we want the uh, inflationary index to be showing at 2%. And this is one of the things that I'm struggling with is that first and foremost, so 2% is the balancing point, is it? Um, just out of curiosity, before COVID hit, what was the inflationary number? Oh, that's right. It wasn't 2%. So you screwed up, made money free, turned around, cranked the oil prices. Oh, don't forget carbon taxes. Okay. Remember, that's a number that makes inflation go up, right? Because cost of goods. So we've got all these wonderful numbers that... Oh, I don't know. The Bank of Canada is controlling or the government's controlling and you're artificially increasing inflation. So for some of you, when you turn around and you take a look at the numbers, and this is one of the things that we found out this week. So what happened to inflation? 2.8 for the month of June. By the way, they were a little late reporting, of course, with, with the uh, with the May numbers. But, you know, they we went from May to June. We went from 3.4 to 2.8. And of course, everybody wants to start talking about some adjustments and everything else, but let's just use the narrative that the Bank of Canada uses. Okay. Because that's the number that, by the way, last year was like 8.1 and now we're 2.8. Okay. So a little bit of an inversion there. Now let's take a look at what it really means. You know, some people turn around and say, okay, well, you know, if we take out mortgages, the cost of mortgages. Uh, right now, the inflationary number would be two percent. Hmm, makes me think a lot. So, the Bank of Canada increases interest rates, which increases inflation. So, aren't they really the root of the problem? Well, they are to a certain degree. Now, let's take a look at a couple other things. So, thanks for the carbon tax, by the way. So, are you purposely trying to increase our cost of goods? You know, during this entire time, uh, that the Bank of Canada kept talking about, uh, the inflation, uh, going up the way it was, did we all forget about what happened to oil? So why did oil go up? You know, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the real reason, you know, we talk about pipelines getting bombed and shut off and everything else, but it wasn't like production got cut. It wasn't like there wasn't any barrels of oil kicking around, you know? So the truth is, is why did it go up? Well. Gee, was that the government once again getting involved in what? Our lives? Of course it is. This is the ongoing theme, is that controlling people's spending, controlling the costs. So you want, want to know why the head of lettuce went up to $6? Because the truck to bring it from the, the boat or the train or the plane had to pay more for the fuel, so the delivery cost, so head of lettuce left wherever it was growing at the same price. But then when it arrived, because it had to go through all of these costs, it was more expensive. Got it. All right. So now here we are, when we talk about real estate, and this is where my rant really has to start wrapping up because when we talk about the cost of real estate, what's really jam- jamming us on the cost. Mm-hmm. Maybe government development costs. Yeah. Okay. So you buy a condo downtown Toronto right now, and about 150,000 of that goes to the development costs for the government okay that's a pretty big number um how about when we take a look at the right now we have very little um you know workers we don't have a whole lot of construction crews out there and where it's getting less and less and less so there you go there's going to be a problem because you have less people that can do the job means that the people that will do the job are going to cost more money to build all right now how about immigration you know, for all of you that are complaining that real estate prices aren't dropping fast enough, that old adage supply and demand keeps coming up, and no matter what, you can sit there and deny it all you want. But you throw a million people into the mix, a million new Canadians, where are they going to live? I'm really struggling with this whole thing that people just think they magically have more space, Okay. If you're a caveman, go find another cave. Well, what if there's no caves? Well, how about if you want to find another house? Guess what? There's no houses. It was interesting because all these politicians are fighting it out right now. It's so funny. Listening to social media and watching the the leaders of the parties going against each other saying, oh, well, we need to produce more homes. How are we going to do that? Oh, we're going to build 1.5 million homes. How are you going to do it? None of you have ever come up with a solution. In fact, I watched one of the leaders get questioned on this and they said, Oh, it's going to be catastrophic. We put a million new Canadians into Canada last year. We needed 400,000 more units to house them. Canada at best can knock out 200,000. So that means that there's going to be about 500,000 people that don't have a place to live. And everybody's sitting there screaming about real estate prices. Well, I'll tell you what, if you had more real estate, if you had more units, guess what? The prices go down, supply and demand. It's a pretty simple philosophy. You know, I think they probably teach it in grade five economics, but, but our leaders can't get it through their thick skulls that, you know, they can sit there and fight. They can keep talking about what a problem this is. I mean, you know, you've got, during the mayor ca- campaign for Toronto, Everybody's talking about the number of units. Really? Where are they going to be built and when are you going to start building them? I'm sick and tired of people throwing around numbers that they don't even start off with one, meaning one unit. Go build a unit. You know, gee, new mayor town, um, have you built a unit yet? No, you promised 25000 uh, Premier, hey, look, I get it. You cut some red tape. Are we getting ahead of the curve? Not yet. You know, take a look at the federal government. You guys are absolutely full of it because you know what? You can sit there and talk to us all day long about the number of units. But what are you doing about it? You know what? We didn't max out last year. We didn't hit the number even close. You needed 400,000 units. You made 200,000 units in Canada. And where are we? So for those people where their narrative and, you know, this is how I'm going to wrap it up. For those of you that think real estate's overpriced, I think you need a reality check. The real estate's expensive because there is none. There's nothing available regardless of you seeing for sale signs in your neighborhood and people talking about interest rates going up and people, you know, struggling because there are families that are struggling. And by the way, shame on you Bank of Canada, but that is what it is. But when we take a look at the big picture, okay, it's lack of inventory. We've been saying this on the show for 10 years since I've been doing this. And it isn't going to change until somebody puts a shovel in the ground, starts building and shuts up because instead, all we hear is talk. I'm tired of the leaders talking. You know what? There's not a leader out there that's actually doing anything and they can sit there and say, yeah, but I, yeah, but I, no, there's no, yeah, but I, at this point in the world of real estate, we need more properties. It's as simple as that. Prices aren't going to go down that much. There's not going to be a huge adjustment. There's not going to be a huge crash. The reality is, is there are going to be more immigrants coming in. And guess what? They'll pick up what's there. And in the end, will real estate become affordable? Not until we build a million homes here in Canada. And we're going to have to do it in short order. Anyways, that's my rant for this week. And by the way, as I mentioned, I've got Craig Proctor joining me uh, in a few minutes. And if you're not following us on Instagram, do it. Be Simple Investor One. And I'll be right back after this. And welcome back. As I mentioned just before the break, my next guest joining me, um, you know, I, I'm going to tell you he, he's hit the pinnacle of the real estate world. Uh, Craig Proctor isn't just uh, your typical realtor. In fact, he's been the number one real estate agent in the world, not just for the Remax Network, for all networks. Um, you know, Craig has set just about every single record out there, but more importantly, instead of just being a realtor, what he did was he turned his talents into being a real estate coach. And he's uh, affected more than 30,000 agents. I mean, it's just staggering what he's been able to achieve in his career. And uh, Craig, thanks so much for joining me again.
1: Well, thank you. Uh, pleasure to be here again, Todd.
0: Yeah. And you know, Craig, I, I got to tell you, um, when I first got into the real estate uh, about 30 years ago, you were at the top of of the heap and you you'd never fell down there. You know, So many agents. You know, they kind of have that one or two years peak, but you've been probably had the most solid team, I think, in North America over the years.
1: Well, yeah, it's interesting that uh many real estate agents can do this sprint, but it's hard to do the marathon. And I noticed the same thing when I got into real estate. You'd see an agent really dominate for a year or two, uh, but then they sort of couldn't keep up the pace. And uh you mentioned the team and that's really was this the secret to my longevity is figuring out how to, you know, take this little system that I'd figured out and then duplicate it to other people so I could have a life outside of real estate.
0: <laughs> you know, it, it's funny you say that because when, when I was kind of at my, at my peak, you know, I was selling 200 homes a year, but by myself, one assistant, um, definitely when we say have a life, I definitely did not. I think my, uh, my divorce has told me that, but, um, it's funny, Craig, because when, when you mention teams, you know, I, I have to say, I know you as a pioneer in that avenue, but then also when you became a real estate coach, you know, you were able to actually coach people just from your life experiences. Tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, the coaching part of it was accidental, not something I intended to do. It's, you know, my story was within three years, I was named the number one RE-MAX agent in, in, the, in the world. And so I was only in my twenties um, and that gathered a lot of attention so a lot of real estate agents wanted to know, well, how is this young guy in the Toronto area, who's only had his real estate license for 36 months, how is he making millions of dollars? How is how is that guy the number one uh, agent in the world for REMAX? So um, how it all began is agents would come and they would shadow me. Uh, they, what that meant is they would go out on the appointments with me. Uh, and I wasn't really interested in that at first, but they said, we would pay you. And I thought, okay, well, uh, that seems kind of crazy, but- they were paying me like two or three thousand dollars a day I think at the beginning and I would bring uh, you know say Bob from Cleveland out on my listing appointment and what I found is the sellers uh, like kind of liked it it gave me more credibility because if they were speaking to other agents uh, the seller started thinking well you know the other agents didn't have some guy named Bob from Cleveland flying up following them around so um, I kind of liked it it gave me more credibility. And that's when I learned that what I was doing was very duplicatable. because when I would spend a day with a real estate agent showing them what I was doing, uh, and I followed up with them, uh, within a few months they were starting to get the same kind of results that I was getting. So that's when I realized this has nothing really to do about me. It's got everything to do with this little systematic way of that I figured out to do things.
0: Yeah, you know, and and like I said, you know, obviously you you've made a lot of history, you know, taught a lot of people how to do this. So. Craig, let's, let's fast forward for a minute. You know, here we are in a marketplace where we had this, you know, staggering increase um, in interest rates, which has had adverse effect to the marketplace. Let's talk about agents today and how they get through, you know, this tougher time. You know, we had a lot of people actually gravitate during, during COVID. And, you know, I'm pretty sure you saw the uptick in membership right across, right across North America, but a lot of people became realtors. And then all of a sudden they had a hot, hot market, 18 months. Everybody was a hero, and now when things settle down, all of a sudden people say, well, how do I get business?
1: Yeah, we're certainly paying the price for the, uh, the uptake in the market. Um, and you know we've seen this before, Todd, right? The, the, we had a very um, unusual marketplace, uh, everybody getting into real estate, everyone in real estate making a lot of money, even if it was to friends and family, everybody's buying real estate. Uh, and the prices of homes at the same time uh, go up uh, very quickly. So real estate agents, uh, two things are happening. They're making more money because uh, the, home of, the price of homes has increased so much, uh, and you get paid uh, a commission on the percentage of the sales price, and there's a lot more homes selling. Now, uh, the reverse of that's happening. So home prices have dropped a bit, and there's less homes selling. Uh, and during that time period, and we see this, sometimes real estate agents have been guilty of ramping up their lifestyle. Because the market's really good during the pandemic, so you know I'm going to buy a bigger house, and I'm going to buy a boat, and I'm going to buy a cottage, and 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 so uh, you know now we're dealing with the after effects of the pandemic, where we're getting back to a more normal market, and uh, there's not as many sales. Um, A lot of those, and I shouldn't say a lot, but some of those real estate agents are going to be squeezed out of the market because we just frankly have too many of them.
0: Yeah. You know, and that's, that's one of those things, Greg, that, you know, you know, you've got the longevity, you know, um, I, before I became the Simple Investor, you know, I was the top producer out of our brokerage for 15 years. It was one of those things that I treated it like a business. You never spent the money you didn't have. If you had money to spend, you put it back into your business, you know, treating it like a business model, uh, marketing, you know, improving, you know, technology for your, for your team. Those are all important things. So today when we take a look at this marketplace, you know, we know that the Bank of Canada is still questioning what they're going to do next. If you could give one really sound piece of advice to realtors, what would it be?
1: That is a great question and I've got the perfect answer for this question. Buy real estate. And I'm going to tell you a story here. I don't think I've ever shared it with you Todd, but when I started in real estate, uh you know, and for all those years I sold over 10,000 homes and so think about this for 30 years, I'm telling everybody, buy real estate, buy real estate, buy real estate. Well, I should have taken more of my own advice. Now, I did buy some real estate. Uh, I do have some properties, but I didn't buy near enough. I remember when I started at Remax, You know, my dad had been in real estate for 20 years at the time. And he introduced me to uh, what I thought one of the old timers in the office. And this guy's name was Jim. And Jim said to me, because I was like 25 when I started in real estate, uh, 25, 26. And he said, uh, Craig, you should buy a house every single year, okay? It'll be amortized over 25 years and you're 25 now. And when you're 50, uh, the first house that you bought in year one of real estate will be paid off and you can sell it and you can live on that. And the second year of real estate, you're going to buy your second house. And that means at age 51, you can sell your second home. That was, Todd, that was the best advice I never took because he was he was absolutely right. Uh, Now I I will say this: I did buy some real estate. You know, uh, when you and I started, uh, there was that recession in 1991, and I did buy some rental properties. And I was so busy selling real estate, I thought of these as uh, you know, because I was I had uh, an assistant of mine that was supposed to be collecting the rent on one of the properties. I don't know somehow forgot to collect the rent. The guy didn't pay us. We tried to go after him. He ended up going bankrupt. And uh, in '91, if you remember that recession, the house prices went down a bit. So these four or five rental properties, I made a mistake of, uh, I had one bad experience with a tenant and the market dipped a bit. And talk about uh, not going the distance. Uh, so I got rid of all my properties, decided I'm just going to focus on real estate. I don't have time for this. And and that's where you come in. Uh, because if you buy and hold, and a lot of people right now, are like, well, is this a good time to buy? I'll tell you what, in 20 years, we're going to look back at the prices now even though we might be going oh my god home prices are so we're going to look back at this in 20 years and uh you know if you have kids or grandkids they're going to say to you why didn't you buy more real estate cuz that's what i say to my dad it's like why didn't you buy more yeah. and then he he says it to me well you're going to say that in 20 years
0: yeah no actually you know what, Craig you couldn't put it any better than that for sure and uh you know that's one of the reasons why i played catch up a few years back becoming the simple investor and making sure that you know everybody has the ability of owning investment real estate so you know, I I don't think I could pick on better advice. So, Craig, you know, one of the, one of the things, of course, you've seen interest rates uh, fluctuate in your career. Um, right now, I'm not asking for a crystal ball, but what do you think? Do you think do you think we've kind of peaked out with interest rates? Or are we going to see some more increases in the near future? You know, are we meeting the requirements of the Bank of Canada?
1: I think we're probably near the top of it. Um, I don't think rates are going to go up much from now. But let me say this on interest rates. You know, of course, everyone's freaking out that interest rates uh, are are higher. But if you know, you and I have been doing this long enough, Todd, that we know like the thirty-year average interest rate is like six or seven percent. It's higher than what it is now. Uh, it's only because interest rates were like they were giving money away. Was, the interest rates were a quarter of a point. So in comparison to where rates were during the very bottom a few years ago during the pandemic, yeah, it seems high. But if you look at the last thirty years, we're not even. Uh, we're not even at the uh average interest rate if we look at the average over the last 30 years so um yeah you know if if you look at it from a, 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 a from high enough you realize this isn't bad it, this isn't bad it's only seems bad buyers are going to get used to this and the rates will come down a little bit but you know we're not going to go back to zero again
0: no I agree I I think that's a very very astute uh, way of looking at it. definitely we're not going to go back to the you know the pandemic times but um, so listen, Craig, if, uh, our listeners want to reach out to you, your team, either for real estate or for real estate coaching, what's the best way for them to reach you?
1: Yeah, it's funny. You know, I have a lot of, uh, homeowners, uh, sellers asking me, uh, Hey Craig, um, who should I use as a real estate agent? I'm happy to point you in the right direction. I would give you the name of, uh, two or three people you could interview. Um, I always like to help them that way. Uh, but if you're a real estate agent, uh, you probably know who I am. If you're here in the, in the Toronto area. Um, I think one of the things you'll like about me is I actually successfully did this, where a lot of people dispensing advice have never successfully sold real estate, sold over 10,000 homes. I've created a lot of millionaire agents here in the Toronto area. And the best thing for you to start, if you want to know more about me, is with a conversation. And you can book uh, a Zoom meeting with us at proctorcall.com. So just my name, Proctor, like it says here, proctorcall.com. You'll go to my QD Day Timer, book a day and a time. We'll ask you a bunch of questions. It's absolutely zero cost to have this call with us. We'll tell you a little bit about how we can help you, and you can decide whether I'm the right guy for you.
0: Excellent. Well, listen, Greg, thanks so much for joining me again today. Great to see you again, and look forward to chatting with you soon.
1: Yeah, keep, uh, keep up doing the great work, Todd.
0: Thanks so much. And welcome back. Well, it was great to have Craig Proctor join me. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's been a little while since I've had him on the show and interesting you know his take on obviously what's happening in the market especially for realtors you know it's uh, it's a tough market to be in especially if you're brand new you know anybody that's come in in the last two years really uh in the very beginning you didn't have to work too hard you didn't have to figure out your business plan definitely is something that you need to do and i'm gonna you know highly recommend you reach out to craig probably one of the top coaches in the world and his uh his staff and and craig himself are excellent at coaching so Definitely reach out to them if you think you're going to struggle through a market like this. But, you know, one of the things that you never, never want to struggle with is the legal aspect of real estate. You know, when you start talking about agreement of purchase and sales and all sorts of different things that, you know, even, even the most knowledgeable realtor, you know, um, I always caution giving any form of legal advice, right? Because it's not what they do for a living, when it comes down to legality, the proper paperwork. Yes, realtors are trained a certain way, but you know there's a lot better people that you can rely on. And yeah, uh, you know lawyers are very, very important. And what I'm very fortunate to have uh, is an in-house counsel here at the Simple Company, Jazdy Dillon. He is part of my team, but he's also uh, joined us on the show in the past. And Jazz, thanks for coming up to the studio today. Thank you very much for having me again, Todd. It's great to be here. Look, you know, uh, you and I have so many conversations, you know, throughout the days and weeks and months and, 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 you know, there's always something that kind of, you know, clicks. And so jazz, I do want to talk to you about the importance of the agreement purchase and sale and for people to understand, you know, how significant it is.
2: Yeah, definitely. Uh, So that's probably the most significant um, paperwork in a real estate closing, right? So it really outlines the rights and obligations of the parties. So it dictates what's going to happen. And if something were to go wrong, that's the agreement that you kind of go back on and and look at the Schedule A and see what conditions were put in, what the buyer was able to do, what the vendor is able to do. So it's a very significant uh, document. Um, There's ways, uh, there's conditions put into the agreement uh, that protect, for example, buyers. So there's a financing condition that must be satisfied or waived. There's a status certificate review that uh, you should be able to do with your lawyer before going ahead and having the g- agreement being firm and binding. Yeah.
0: You know, Jez, one, one of the things, and from, a, from a, real st- uh, a real estate perspective, I've always known that, you know, a lot of people think that when you put in an agreement of purchase and sale, a condition on financing, they automatically think it's just to benefit the the buyer. Well, truth be told, that actually is very beneficial for the seller because if the buyer waives the condition on financing, they're they're basically declaring that they have financing in place. If they don't close, this actually allows the seller some recourse. Right. So
2: if you waive the condition um, and you don't close, so you say that you have financing and then you end up not closing, the seller has recourse um, by treating the agreement as terminated. So, you know, saying that, well, the buyer repudiated the the agreement. I'm going to sue for either uh, damages or I'm going to uphold the contract and this is called specific performance and I'm going to force through court orders you to close because you said you had financing, right? So um, there, there is a few ways uh, that, uh, for example, a vendor could do that. So why would a vendor want to sue for for example uh, specific performance it's because they see that um the contract price so the purchase sale price is inadequate uh, and compared to the market value those damages that's usually what a vendor would get through through such a, a damages claim they find that to be inadequate uh, so uh, or they can't mitigate their loss by finding a suitable purchase uh, purchaser so they're relying on upholding the contract with with
0: this buyer right so let, let's let's talk about you know uh this current situation in this marketplace so if you have a bit of a downturn market and let's say a a, a a buyer fails to complete the seller then has to turn around and they actually get an offer that's lower than what their original agreement was with the buyer that did not purchase so the does the seller get have the right to sue the previous buyer for the difference? That would be part of their damages
2: claim that I now have to sell market values lower. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between what we agreed upon and what the market
0: value is though. That is their call. Co- that is their action for damages. So yes. Yeah. So, you know, because um, folks, if, if you think about this, so, you know, we, we've we had a couple of markets like this, you know, 2017, 2018, we did see a little bit of a dip, a couple of things that had been put into the marketplace, foreign buyer tax. Then we turned around and we got nailed with the uh, stress test. And then most recently, of course, um, February, 2022, Jazz, well, we saw, you know, Bank of Canada basically ripped off the band-aid, decided to just go whole hog on the interest rate changes. <laughs> and sure enough, here we go. Um, we started to see, you know, a few people that you know, they originally had set up, you know, for a three or four month closing. By the time the closing came around, interest rates have gone higher. They say they can't, can't close. They were firm. You know, we see these scenarios. Now, again, don't get me wrong. It's not like it was like one in 10 or anything, but it happens. Right. And I think, I think part of, part of what I'd like you to help us do is like, you know, educate, you know, the, just the general public, both, both both buyer and seller um you know the importance of you know utilizing your your solicitor making sure that you know i i even think that in some cases um it should be conditional on a lawyer's review before you even waive anything i agree uh i know a lot of uh,
2: new purchase agreements so if you're getting a pre-construction i mean that you do have a lawyer's review and 10-day rescission period um so it's really important to put that clause in into a resale agreement purchase and sale and have a lawyer review it so you have that protection of saying okay well what's really in this agreement and how can i protect myself and your lawyer will advise you you know this is the amount of your deposit this is what this condition really means Uh, sometimes conditions are worded in a way that you know the average layperson may not understand exactly what it's saying sometimes you have a condition saying um, if we don't get notice of fulfillment of uh, of the condition." Then we're going to treat it as uh that the condition's not satisfied. Or sometimes if we do get notice, it is satisfied. Yeah, you know, there's ways that it's
0: well, kind of there's also self-removing. Yeah. And and that's the real tricky one yeah. where it is, if we do not hear from you by this date, then right. it's deemed firm, right? Exactly. Um, but let's 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 go backwards for a second. You know, we we you and I both agree, you know, it's good to have conditions, but you know, uh 2021 wasn't a year where people were putting conditions in their offers.
2: Yeah, so it was a a hot market and um, I saw a lot of, you know, in my private practice at the time, saw a lot of deals where there was no inspections or there was no lawyer review. So you're really limited as to what a lawyer can do after the agreement has been kind of firmed uh, and signed and agreed upon. Uh, It's harder to get that amendment from the other side when you're really wanting to change something in in the agreement now that you have a lawyer uh, look at it. In the case of condominiums, um, very common, there will be a status certificate review. So giving the purchaser and their lawyer two to three days to review the condominium you know, documentation. So like the declaration, bylaws, rules, and the description. So that really is a very important uh, review if you're buying a condominium. Um, because it really tells you the financial position of the Conde Corp at that time, at the time of purchase. So yeah,
0: yeah it gives you a snapshot of what yeah. you're getting yourself into, which which makes a lot of sense, you know. And and as, as we said, you know, a lot of people were buying firm um, because there was multiple offers in place. Um, that's that's a tough place to be in, as you you know, as, as you alluded to that you know afterwards, there's not a lot a lawyer can do other than to a point where you know, strong-arming somebody with a firm offer is pretty, pretty hard. Very
2: difficult. But why would the other party want to change something, right? They see that this is a firm offer. What benefit are they getting yeah. by offering an amendment or, you know, unless there's a mutual benefit to the agreement for both parties, like that could happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, folks, we're going to go to a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to have more with Jazdeep Dillon and and jazz is a uh, in-house counsel at the simple company he is a real estate lawyer as well and um you know i, I do want to talk a little bit more about some of the important things in a transaction um, one of them of course being title insurance and what is the benefit to you the buyer of title insurance you know it's that thing that most lawyers will sit there and say you must have but do you really know what it's for um if you're not following us on instagram make sure you do it it's the simple investor one Hey, we've been having a great time with some of our latest posts uh gotta thank you all for tuning in and kind of uh you know giving us some likes and views uh we're going anywhere from fifty thousand to two million views on some of our posts so make sure you catch what we are doing next but next when we come back i've got more with jazdeep dylan so stay with us we'll be right back and welcome back so sitting in the studio with me is the in-house counsel for the simple company i've got jazdeep Dillon here and just before the break uh, Jazz, we're talking about the importance, obviously, of some conditions in the agreement of purchase and sale when people are transacting. There's another really important thing um, that I think everybody should have, and, and in fact, if even if you pay off your mortgage and let's say you don't have it, you should probably throw it in. It's called title insurance. Yep. And you know, uh, many many years ago, um, when uh, one of the big companies, First Canadian Title, first came to Canada, I was actually fortunate to have them as a sponsor on my TV show. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot, a lot about the importance of title insurance. Maybe you can give us kind of an overview.
2: Yeah, exa- Uh, for sure. So, uh, I know you mentioned that first before the break that, you know, title insurance lawyers m- may tell their clients, you must get it right. Um, in fact, it's not mandatory. However, your lender will always have some sort of condition, uh, part of the mortgage instructions that it, they'll make it kind of mandatory. So it, I, I feel like it's coming more from the lenders than the lawyer lawyer, lawyer has the obligation of telling you like look here's your options uh you can do um title insurance which is probably the best option uh and what title insurance really is is a, it's a it's an insurance policy on title defects so for example say after closing uh something comes up in the sense of um something that wasn't on un- un- like discovered during title searches that your lawyer's. Pur- uh, you know, conducting for you, Um, for example, there's a construction lien or some sort of mortgage or a work deficient, like a work order deficiency that arises after closing. You are now going to put a claim into title insurance for them to investigate and uh, provide only a monetary compensation for your actual loss. So title insurance does not give you, does not fix a legal problem. It doesn't fix your... For example i had a a client um, a few years ago where uh, after closing a city inspector came through and deemed that the deck was uh, not up to um, code so uh, it was a surprise to the to the new owner Um, what we decided to do was put a claim into title insurance the owner had to uh, get a contractor you know fix the deck and whatnot However, title insurance actually covered the contractor's invoices. So that's one example of how, um, you can use title insurance and why it's so beneficial. Uh, other areas where you might see title insurance being beneficial, uh, after closing is where there might be some, um, mortgage or uh, mortgage fraud, you know, identity theft, things like that, that are on the rise that we see a lot more today. Um, You know, on the news we've seen, you know, you go on vacation, someone goes and sells your home kind of thing, right? So those type of things, or they put a mortgage in your name that you have no idea of. So title insurance would uh, step in and cover the legal fees um, and cover the actual loss that you've experienced. Um, So it's all, I I think it's always beneficial to to get it. And every lawyer I think would agree (laughs) right now that title insurance is the best way of going the other option though um, that um, a lot of purchasers have or used to have back in the day was uh, a lawyer's opinion there's a few problems with the lawyer's opinion one it's more expensive than uh, title insurance remember title insurance is a one-time fee uh, and i think it's a very if you look at the grand scheme of things it's a small fee when you're making the biggest transaction of your life right so um, it's a one-time fee and you, and you, you're insured for the entire time that you own that property. A lawyer's opinion is going to cost, uh, you more than six, $700 for title insurance. Um, because they have to do the necessary searches and put in the time to do that. Also a lawyer's opinion doesn't cover you post-closing. So it's only good and valid until the day of closing. After the day of closing, you don't have that lawyer's opinion anymore to rely on, uh, However, if you believe that the lawyer was negligible and, you know, was, didn't do his, his, his or her job properly, then your recourse would be to put in a, a claim with LawPro.
0: Yeah. So let's, let's, let's talk about something you, you mentioned. And I have seen uh, these cases front and center when, when title insurance first came. And it was people actually stealing people's title, going in, putting a mortgage on it. They come home. And there's a power sale on the property because what they didn't know, there was a $400,000 mortgage placed on it. Now this normally happens folks for people that have a paid off home and have owned it for quite a few years. So jazz people can actually today. Um, if you, if you don't have title insurance, you can actually, as a homeowner still go and purchase title insurance. Yes. Yes, you can. Yeah. You can get it after, after purchase close. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Because I, I think it's really important. So for, for our listeners, You know, and if you have a clean title, meaning that you don't have any debt on your property, and let's say you've owned this for several years, and when you purchased, you know, way back then, you didn't have title insurance, I'd encourage you to do it. It's probably the best, you know, six, seven, $800 you'll ever spend because with identity theft getting better and better, I mean, you know, look, these, these, these thieves are quite, quite sharp. Uh, It's better that you have the ability to protect your assets. And again, they can just, out of nowhere put put a lien on your property. Yeah. And it may be more than the 4,
2: four to 700 dollars that we're talking about. It really depends on the purchase price of, of of the property, so that's how they calculate how much the title insurance is, but it is a one-time fee and, yeah. and I think still it's uh, relatively insignificant uh when you're thinking, you know, thinking in the grand scheme of things when you're buying a million dollar plus home nowadays.
0: Yeah. So um let's let's just talk briefly about power sales okay it's one of those things that uh, has now come up a little because people are a little concerned so um you know I I've worked with a lot of lending institutions over the years when I used to sell real estate one of the things that they always said was that properties had to be sold for market value it's not for the debt that the property actually has on it there is a process though before let's say mortgager can go through this correct yeah I think uh,
2: power sales is really the last uh, option that or the last resort, maybe there's, um, you know, as a, if you're, if you're facing default, if you've defaulted on your mortgage, for example, then, you know, you should work with your lender and you should talk to your lender and, and see if there's any payment options or anything that, they, you know, can be done before it gets to the point where there's power of sale, uh, power of sale proceedings. So, um, try to kind of navigate those with your lender first, and then if all else fails, uh, there, yes, uh, power of sale is the, I think, the last option that uh, you really go through.
0: Yeah, and and just for everybody's sake, just so you know, um, it, it can be a little bit, you know, uh, lengthy. And ultimately, in the end, I can tell you that um, today's lenders are not in the habit of taking your asset. They are more concerned, obviously, about getting their debt paid. So this is where I'm always encouraging lenders to think outside the box. Uh, you know, we're changing amortizations up a little if we have to. Maybe you just do interest payments only. You turn around and as, uh, as Jazz said, you know, you you talk to your lenders before you get down the road too far, folks. Make sure you're having open communications. Let them know that, you know, hey, look, things might get a little tight. Yeah, I only bring that up because of obviously the, the current interest rate environment for some Hopefully we're at the end of that rope and uh, and things will go on from there. So uh, Jazz, listen, always a pleasure having you here in the studio. Uh, thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Thank you very much, Todd. Yeah. Great to have Jazz join me. I, you know, it wasn't a far commute from him. <laughs> He's here in the house with us. Uh, I do want to thank uh, Craig Proctor again for, for joining me. Great to have him on uh, if you're looking for a real estate coach. And uh, on top of that, Um, I do want to uh, make sure if you're not following me on Instagram, make sure you do it. It's the simple investor one. Again, I'll try to entertain you, but uh, one of the most important things that we try to do is give you the facts, what's going on in the market. I'm just going to tell you how it is. You know, I'm pretty brutally honest when it comes down to this, you know, that, you know, how I feel about real estate realtors, everything else And I'm I'm not going to pull any punches. I will be very, very direct. Hey, by the way, we do have that, uh, our, our, our new release, our new program. It's a final release out of London. Um, and we have a special on interest rates. And if you want to find out more, go to the simple investor.com. Uh, it's something unbelievable. You won't believe the interest rate that we're able to, uh, get balanced out for you right now today on this newest release. So you don't want to miss out on the opportunity. As Craig had said before, you know, um, best advice he didn't follow was buy more, uh, investment real estate. I'm always going to be a huge advocate of that. And um, I do want to thank my producers as usual. They keep it simple for me. Uh, Aiden and Omar, they're here in the booth at the Simple Podcast Studio. As well, Ian Grant at head office, you know, making sure that I do what I'm supposed to do. More importantly, I want to thank you for tuning in every single week and making us the number one real estate talk show. Of course, I'll be back next Sunday as usual. I'm your host, Todd C. Slater. You've been listening to Simply Real Estate right here on News Talk 1010 Toronto.